Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And welcome back to the Investor Coaching Show. That is not me on the drums. That is actually Paul on the drums in any of these bumper musics. Bumper, I don't know. What do you call bumper that, Leviticus? Music. What are they called? Bumper music. Okay. Bumper music. There you go. Thank you. So it's on the in and the out. <laughs> Investing questions we can handle. I am not your pop culture phone a friend. Let me tell you that. Don't call me on we the, see. who wants to be a millionaire. The uh, So, hey, let's uh, we'll pick up a little bit of excitement here. And uh, I was really thrilled to see this uh, article come out. Uh, this was actually, I think, out of Morningstar. It's official. Passive funds overtake active funds. And then the subheading is, but the recovery of U.S. fund flows was weak in 2023. And it goes through some of the data about dollars going in and out of mutual funds and, you know, a little bit of inside baseball on, you know, net fund flows from the various companies. But here was the, here was the fun part for me is – we have finally gotten to where assets in what we call passive products. So that could be an index fund. That could be an exchange traded fund that's on an index, but, uh, or like we use structured funds, institutional funds, things like that, but they're not actively trading, meaning it's not some manager that's picking stocks. Is Tesla going to be better than Walmart? Is Amazon going to be better than Apple? you know, those kind of things. That's active management. Yeah, but go ahead. I, I think that we have to be very careful and clarify that there are now ETFs, which were originally designed as index type passively managed funds that are now becoming a lot more actively managed. You mean traded or uh -huh. inside of the ETF inside itself? Inside of the ETF itself. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I like to try to clarify with investors that I don't like the term passively managed. Yeah. Um, because even if, you know, you look at the biggest index fund there is, the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, mm -hmm. when money goes into that fund, to me, passive management sounds like nothing is done. Sure. They just let it be. Uh. And that's not what happens. When you make your deposits into your 401k and it goes into that index fund or any fund at all, the managers of that fund have to buy stock. Right. When you take money out, an RMD or monthly income in retirement, uh, you want to buy a new car or the down payment on that RV, mm -hmm. they have to actively sell stock. So I like to kind of break it down is that there's active managed funds mm -hmm. and hyper actively managed funds. <laughs> Well, the hyperactive. <laughs> this world is confusing yeah. enough for investors already. Uh, hey, where <laughs> the manager, the manager is trying to decide: Do right. I buy Tesla or sure. do I buy General Motors or do I buy Nissan? Right. I I think it. You know, people have to realize because when I think of something that's very passive, you know, I think of sitting at the beach is a very passive activity. Fair enough. So assets that don't constantly trade based on a forecast or prediction of the future. Let's go with that. Okay. That they're not, you know, making the assertion that Walmart's going to do better than Kroger and that kind of stuff, as opposed to purchasing the stocks that mimic the index, let's say in that example, in the S&P 500. Well, 
we're going to take it out of a much easier step. Yeah. So rather than trying to decide which one is going to be better, Kroger, Winn-Dixie, or Walmart super food stores. Right. Just buy them all. Well, that would be in the index, most right. likely. Right. Yeah. And so uh, asset-wise, dollars invested in those kinds of funds or exchange-traded funds have finally eclipsed the dollars in all of the active managed funds, whether it's at Vanguard, Fidelity, BlackRock, you know, American funds, whatever fund family out there, uh, people that have at least come to the conclusion that hyperactive trading based on forecasts and track record of a manager is unreliable enough that there's a, there's a better way out there maybe. And so that's what's exciting for me is the message of hyperactive trading is not working is getting out. And that's, that's kind of just kind of gratifying, frankly. Now, I'm wondering if that had to do with the fact that, you know, Paul started doing podcasts about two years ago. So could maybe be. the podcast is it what's convincing more people. All over the world, people are saying, hey, we want to follow that, that investment <laughs> philosophy and we're taking on the big guys, David versus Goliath. So, uh, so let, let's do a little selfish plug here. Um, you know, Paul <laughs> does record these shows and they are posted to the website, www.paulwinkler.com. Uh, I might have missed a W there. Uh, but paulwinkler.com is the website. You can find all our podcasts and a lot of very interesting articles. Yeah. And just all about education, not about products. Yep. And, uh, you know, when we were going through this uh, debate on active and passive and hyperactive, uh, you made a comment about, uh, you know, what the stocks get sold when someone's taking an income or an RM required minimum distribution from an account. And I know you mentioned you had uh, kind of a story on questions about, hey, what's enough income in retirement? Let's go ahead and touch on that. Yeah, because that's, that becomes a very big question. What is a good monthly income in retirement? And most financial planners are going to tell you to shoot to about 70 to 80% of your current earned income. One of the things that we lose when we stop working, um, we're no longer paying into Social Security. Yep. We're no longer so paying. So that saves you 7% right there. We're no longer paying into Medicare. Uh, so 70 to 80% of pre-retirement income is something that's good to shoot for. Uh, but then, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're working, you're probably not traveling as much. Correct. So... I think that you have to look at what are your expenses mm -hmm. before retirement and then try to live on a percentage and say, okay, can I live on 80% right. of my income? Yeah. Okay. So there are some numbers. Um, in 2020, U.S. households led by someone age 65 or older spent an average, and this number surprised me, spent an average of $45,270 a month. A year. A year, excuse me, yes. <laughs> a month, yeah. That, yeah that's I don't even think that's what we spend in Brentwood around here, yeah. so. Um, Might a, be. A year. Um, and that's That does seem the, low. Yeah. So that's, that's, what, that's people the, over 65, what was the number 65 again? or older spend an average of $45,270 a year, and that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Wow, okay. However, many retirees spend less than that. The... Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that 2020 spending for those age 65 or older broke down into the simple percentages. Less than 10,000 
2.1%. Okay. Which I don't know how anybody would live on less than 10,000. They're living with their family. It could be. I mean, that'd be yeah. about mom, it. Yeah, mom living with the kids. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 10 to 20,000, 18.2. They're still probably living with family. Huh? 20 to 30,000, 21.5. Okay. 30 to 40,000, 18%. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 to 50, 12.2%. Then it's a big jump. It goes 50 to 75. Okay. A bigger eight, oh, the dollar band. Yeah. 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 And that's 15.9%. Okay. And then 75 to 100,000, 5.5%. Okay. So wow. it's kind of all over the place. Yep. Um, and I, I just think that there is no real number. Well, there's no right number. Yeah, I would agree with that. Right. Uh, yeah, okay, if you want to yeah. say that. Yeah, so, but when people come in and say, well, how much do I need to have in retirement? <laughs> yeah. It's not a question that any financial planner can answer. Yeah. Uh, because it depends on your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It depends on how much money do you have in the in the bank. Uh, do you want to take money from Social Security, which is a whole other conversation. Right. Um the top sources of retirement income uh, were Social Security, followed sure. by pension and retirement accounts, earnings, property income, people with real estate uh-huh. living off of, of that, yeah. supplemental Social Security, um, and then some other income, workman's comp, veterans benefits, and other cash income sources. Uh, many retirees fall far short of the amount, though. Um, according to the Bureau, the average income for 2021 after taxes or as follows for older households. Ages 65 to 74 was 59872 or $4,989 per month. And then it drops for people over 75. Okay, to I was going to say, that's plenty. Yeah, for 40, to 43217 or $3,600 a month. So let's, yeah, so let's look at that number a second. So you said the average spending across all ages was about 45 grand. Mm-hmm. And once you get above 74, the average income is just below <laughs> 45,000 mm-hmm. sounded like. Yep. And that income numbers, when you're listening, listing the breakdowns didn't sound like they, that was including any investment or portfolio income. It looked like that was new money coming into their situation, whether it was social security or pension. No, that was spending. No, the sources of income. You mentioned pension, Social Security, and so forth. Um, You know, so that's that's a real issue that once you get, you know, that age band, your income, but probably because you're not getting as much part-time income, you know, you just might be tired or you're not able to work extra, those kind of things. Um, And spending is starting to maybe pick up. But uh, when I'm, you know, when we look at numbers for retirement, when I'm, when I'm talking to someone as well, when I get the question of what, you know, how much is enough, basically what's, what's the number? Um, you have to think about the things that are going to be changing when they retire separate from like social security and 401k contributions going away. Uh, their income taxes won't be coming out. They typically they'll be in a lower bracket, you know, coming out. Um, and so, but their house may be paid off very shortly, either before they've retired or right when they retire. Mm-hmm. And so they're no longer making that payment. And, you know, you think about it, if someone is debt free, 
then, you know, if they have no bills, mm-hmm. no car payment, and they're just, you know, groceries, electricity, whatever, 40000 might be enough. Now, it's, it's not a lavish lifestyle, you know, as we talked about, but they're safe. Um, but if someone is spending 10000 a month, they probably don't want to retire on 40000 a year. That's going to be a real problem. Or you need a really big bucket, you know. Well, I looked at our expenses at home. And if I didn't have my mortgage payment, mm-hmm. um, our – and this is where I, you know, go with the, with clients um, – is breaking down the two different types of expenses that you have. Mm-hmm. Your living expenses. Right. And your discretionary expenses. <laughs> you know, living expenses is going to Publisher Kroger and buying some chopped meat and making a meatloaf. Right. Discretionary expenses is going to Outback and, you know, having a $60 dinner for two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how much money do you need and how much money do you want to live on could be two very, very different conversations. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. And welcome back to the Investor Coaching Show. I'm Evan Barnard here with Ira Work this afternoon. Paul is enjoying a well-deserved day off, although he's probably listening, so I can't guarantee you 12% tax-free returns or free financial planning or anything like that this week. So uh, but keep listening, listening for some good information. That's right. He is always listening. The uh, couple of fun articles, uh, these two I thought would go <laughs> very well together. Um, and I'm going to read both titles before I hit the first article. One is there's a case for blowing your bonus this year. Many people are looking forward to rewarding themselves with splurge purchases, even as uncertainty lurks in the labor market. And the next article is many younger Americans don't see a path to retirement. (laughs) And I thought there's probably a correlation between those two things. Uh, And so, you know, companies are slashing jobs, pay is starting to flatline, analysts are bracing for a volatile year. And yet some workers are planning to blow their corporate bonuses caring less what others may think. Take Dana Hickson, the 28-year-old in Akron, Ohio, plans to spend her bonus on a pair of shoes. (laughs) Either she's got a really small salary or these are really big shoes. (laughs) Working in sports analytics, she expects her bonus to be about 8% of her income. The firm said profits have been solid, so Hickson is hoping she'll earn enough to fly to Las Vegas stay at a top-tier hotel, and pick up a pair of Dior Jadior slingbacks retailing for as much as $1,550. 
She hasn't forgotten the roughly $30,000 in student loans she has. Hickson said she'll try to contribute some of her bonus to either that or a similar necessity. But like many other bonus spenders, she said she doesn't think people should feel guilty about treating themselves. (laughs) And so, you know, she's going to spend her bonus. Now, again, it's her money. That's totally fine. But I'm thinking if you've got some of those student loans hanging out there and all that, or maybe you could increase your contribution to your 401k, that's a good deal. Um, now, here's here's a, a happy side of that equation. Julie Kemp, also a 28-year-old working in digital strategy, said she has no intention of buying property where she lives in Los Angeles. She structured her budget so her bonus doesn't factor into her living expenses. So when she earns enough to clock a bonus, she views it as a treat. In the middle of that, though, there was a little bit of the sociological side of people are seeing their housing go up so much, or particularly the cost of purchasing a home, that they say, well, there's just no point. You know, my bonus isn't big enough that it's going to help me with the down payment on this big home. And so I'll never get there. I'll have to save bonuses for, you know, 12 years before I can get a home. And so they quit, they quit trying, you know, money, there could be a fear of success thing. So at the same time, many younger Americans don't see a path to retirement. Roughly 21% of Americans ages 22 to 34 said retirement is out of reach or not part of their plan in a recent TIA Institute study or survey, excuse me. And it's not hard to see why. Good entry-level jobs are getting harder to come by, student debt burdens are daunting, and the cost of living is high. Videos on TikTok detail a so-called silent recession or even a silent depression as millions juggle increased costs on everything from auto insurance and food to rent and utilities. When struggling with short-term financial pressures, focus on a far-off retirement goal can take a back seat. Now, here's the interesting thing. Even though the the headline for that was younger Americans don't see a path to retire, it's only 21%. That means 79% of younger Americans do see a path to retire. And so to me, that's sort of an example of how the, the media can color your view of money and maybe make you think worse about things than you might want to. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.